Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ken M. Joining me for this edition of the ODPH is the co-host. You know him. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And also returning to the panel yet again, and we so love having him in studio, he is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach. Coach Duffy. No summer hibernation this year since there is no summer lacrosse for this guy. Ah. So I will be around as much as I can. And we absolutely love having you in studio. And we love having you listen to us here each and every week on the ODPH. So definitely keep the conversation going after the episode. Join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can join in on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And remember to use the hashtag ODPH. We have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, but mm-hmm. let us kick off, I don't want to say on a good note because it's definitely not, but the land of pro wrestling has a... It's been shaken a little bit. Shaken. Rattled to its core, really. Rattled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not its brightest hour by any means. No. Currently, right now, there is a lot of uh, allegations coming towards wrestlers in the hashtag speaking out movement where a lot of wrestlers are allegedly getting accused of uh, sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, and a lot of just bad stuff. And it's, bad. Not, and it's not limited to just one company or just one continent. Uh, you know, it's hit NXT UK, AEW, you know, WWE. Independent, Independent wrestlers, you know, so it's all facets of, you know, professional wrestling have been hit by this. Yeah, it's definitely not a good look for pro wrestling, not a good look for no. people in general. This, no. This kind of shit is ridiculous that is coming out and getting released. So, Well, even, I mean, the crazy thing is in an industry that is known as being sh- the shittiest people. I mean, let's be real here. Yeah. I mean, promote, from promoters, you know, down to the wrestlers, to the ring crew, it's just... So I'm you, sure we've all heard stories. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's always had the... Um, carnival-esque mm-hmm. you know mystique around it especially mm-hmm. at the lower you yeah. know independent circuit yeah. certainly not ran out of excite no M- moose represent moose runs a tight ship <laughs> over there he would but, do you and take uh, that kind of crap but i mean at the same time you know sometimes you know these things get out and you hear hearsay and and it's difficult to judge and gauge because you know you have maybe a friendship on the line or or you see this person as a friend and and you kind of glaze over it i guess Uh i mean i don't know if that's the right term but you know you kind of you you don't you don't see your friend being the one who's doing these type of things you know yeah and it's difficult once this news breaks out because i mean a lot of people in the industry right now a lot of them are friends yeah and a lot of this now is uh you know probably shocking to them if they hadn't heard it before and if they had you know heard it before maybe it's really now you know the story that they maybe heard two years ago. Now it's like, oh, wow, that really was real. Oh, no. You know, I mean, and you certainly, you know, it's just, it's a bad time for wrestling with 
already i mean the the dark side of the ring stuff yeah that especially you know yeah. the chris benoit story the owen hart story that ended this past season already you know had a really bad black eye on wwe right. and yeah then the coronavirus firings that happened that you know people were furlonged and all this and now all this stuff coming through and although right now it's not wwe being um at the forefront of the news as it is just the wrestling industry it's just another black eye on on professional sport. I'll say it's definitely shocking for fans. You know, I know myself included, just because it feels like every time you you go on social media, be it Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, there's a new name added to the list, mm-hmm. and I think it's shocking for a lot of people, myself included, because you know, as as much as I've seen some of these wrestlers. And you know, I you know, I've gotten to meet Cody, and and I've gotten to meet Jeff Cobb, and and some other folks have been fortunate enough to come through, you know, locally with some of the local uh, promotions. You know, it's shocking for me that you feel like the you know these people, but you really don't, because in a lot of instances, the character you see in person, and if it's an independent wrestling organization, or if it's on television, be it AEW or WWE. The persona you see on screen is not the persona in real life. So you might see a guy on TV, you know, and he's a good guy and he's a do-gooder, you know, and everything about it. And then, you know, his name might come out of this and it's just so hard to believe because at the end of the day, you have this image of this person in your head and what they should be like and how they are. And they don't, they never do that. They don't act like that. What? You know, so it's definitely been shocking, and you know, it's good to see all these stories come out because there's no place for that in any form or shape of life, be it wrestling or everyday life. No, absolutely, Pat. I mean, like I say, I I, I think it's extremely brave for everybody that's coming forward and yeah. and telling their stories and really bringing some attention to this utter crap that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And for everybody that's been accused, I mean, it's still innocent until proven guilty. Right. So in the cases, obviously, the organizations are doing investigations on every accusation that's coming out. Yeah, sure. I mean, some have been very cut and dry about reactions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen with uh, AEW and Sammy Guevara. Yep. Uh, that one is, you know, comments he made on a podcast. A little more cut and dry on that one, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then in comparison to certain other ones. So we're not going to be diving into every single wrestler that's had an accusation because obviously it's not our place to be judging what has happened until all the facts come yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, for every, you know, maybe accusation, I mean, not that Enzo more like, I don't want to defend the guy in any shape, way, or form, but everybody jumped mm-hmm. on the conclusion, Matt, of no, you know, he's guilty, scumbag, yada, yada, yada. Turns out, even though he is a scumbag, he was an innocent scumbag. In that so, circumstance. And yeah. yeah, in that circumstance. Yeah. So, like, you know... Obviously, you know, uh, victims of this, it's a sensitive subject. I, a father of three little girls, definitely would, you know, I can't even imagine the rage that I would have and feel, you know, if this was my daughter implicated in something like this. Um, But at the same time, you know, these are people's livelihoods and their lives. So, you know, let's respect the the fact that facts need to come out before we jump on everything. Mm. And, I mean, obviously, if 15 people come forward, then, you know, there's probably, you know, uh, so there's a little smoke. There. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. There's a little smoke behind the gun there. But I mean, if it one statement, two statements, you know, I heard my friend had this happen to her by ex wrestler. Let's not just jump on everything and jump down on everybody. Let's give the benefit of a doubt. And, and, and eventually once more facts come out, then we can make conclusions, but let's not just rush on everything just as soon as something gets released. 
Yeah, that's exactly the take that should be happening. And like I say, with all the stories coming out, the truth is is coming out mm-hmm. about it. So the organizations are taking very swift action about it. Like we said with AEW, they suspended Sammy. Uh, there's he is uh, agreed for sensitivity training. Yep, and his salary is going to be donated to a woman's organization in Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I mean, a little late in the reaction from AEW, but still the right move nonetheless. Yeah. So I mean, they are reacting to it. Impact Wrestling has fired Joey Ryan and David mm-hmm. Christ. Yep. Um, for you know their involvement in the in, in the accusations. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, they're doing their due diligence and digging into all the accusations, which yeah, is the right sure. move to do. So yeah. they are researching this. I know the WWE is going through a situation currently with Matt Riddle, um, right. and they've been doing a lot of investigation, investigating as well. I, don't know, I guess he was very forefront with giving information, too, which is always you know, a sign of... of promise i guess I mean, well yeah, in his situation of, he informed them that of a situation prior right. so this did not catch them off guard right exactly so that is why because i know there was a lot of online chatter of okay oh, a well, lot of and a lot of canceling you know quote unquote you know as the generation saying right now canceling of them too yeah because that's why he was he was still wrestling on smackdown this past friday right so overall the wrestling industry has really got to take a look at the culture that this is now being brought to light and mm-hmm. find a way to stop it. Yeah. And for anybody, like I say, for anybody that's came forward, I think is extremely brave. Yeah. Because you're hearing a lot of the stories come out. And for the locker room and just people in general, it's like this shit is just not be, acceptable. Just be better. Like, mm-hmm. why? Yeah. You know, I mean, and the, the, some of the stories that I've read, it's like, you know, you are not a heaven sent. That, you know, you are not sent from heaven. You're not, to a, be, you're not a gift to the yeah, world. Yeah, you're not a gift to the world. You are ex wrestler on the indie circuit who did XYZ 10 years ago. Just move on, go about your business, you know. And uh, for the other stories, you know, the, I mean, the Cornette shit, if you want to read about that, that's on your time. I am not going to share any of that. No. But that is just weird shit. Weird, weird, weird. Just, I, yeah, not even gonna. Just, it's just, it's nuts. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's, at times it's overwhelming just because, like we said, there's so much going on and it feels like every five minutes you turn around and there's a new one. Yeah. So, like I say, in closing with that portion of the wrestling talk this week, just be better. Be better. That, that yeah. is the thing. If, if you see it, I mean, like I say, we, we fully a, a, applaud everybody that's coming forward to bring this to light. And for now that is being brought to light is up to everybody to make a change and everybody to really stop this from continuing because there's no place, period, for it. So we we definitely were planning on leading off talking about the Undertaker's documentary, but we felt we needed to address this. We didn't want to just brush it away to the side. Uh, I took a deeper dive with this on the wrestling show over on the Three Fat Nerds podcast with Rich. So that episode, if you're on Patreon, is out right now, and I believe he's releasing that on Wednesday over on the 8122 Productions Network. So if you want to hear more about that and a little more deep dive on the wrestling talk, head on over and check that out. But like I said, we were originally planning on talking The Undertaker and the documentary, so let us jump into that. And this past week, they wrapped up a five-part series on The Undertaker on the WWE Network. Gentlemen, your thoughts on The Last Ride? I mean, admittedly, I still have to watch it. My life has been a little busy and a little crazy, so I haven't even had a chance to start it, but I've seen some clips, and it looks enthralling. 
Coach? Yeah, I uh, similar to Pat, I had been flirting with watching it. I'd watched uh, part of part one. I uh, haven't had a chance to finish it, but I've been following along uh, with the story and, and from what I've seen clip-wise. And, yeah, I mean, it looks like a documentary that was well shot, well thought. Um, I mean, from what WWE has done in the past with – uh, the 24 and 365 and other documentaries that they've done, they I, they do a really great job. So, I yeah. mean, from what I've seen with this Undertaker stuff, I'm really excited to dive into it. I mean, I know, Ken, you really, you know, you watched all of it, so I know that you probably have a little more detailed of a take than we will have. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I just, I guess my delay in it is that, you know, I'm just, I've never been a big Undertaker guy. Right. So I've never been like, oh, you know, Undertaker's must watch for me. That's just the, yeah. that's just the difference for me. I mean, I haven't gotten around to it just because I'm kind of at a lull with professional wrestling right now. That too. Just because, like I've said in previous episodes, <laughs> it's it's hard to watch, not from a the product is bad standpoint, because that is true in certain instances, but just, you know, I just miss the, the crowd at an arena. You know, no disrespect to the to the talent and folks that are, you know, ringside at the WWE shows and with the AEW shows. You know, they're all doing a great job and, they're you know, they're doing the best. But it's just not the same as having a, an arena full of, like, 17,000 people. So it's hard for me to get into really anything wrestling outside of maybe a pay-per-view. Well, let me flip my take then, and I'm going to present this to you of why you should be watching this. Okay. Well, so. I was just going to ask you. Uh, as the person, yeah, sell me, sell me on this documentary. Why do I want to go out of my way after just watching Last Dance and the baseball uh, uh, thirty for thirty? Summer. Yeah, a long gone summer. Tell me why I need to take in another documentary right now. Okay, and I am going to be talking a little bit of spoilers. So if you're worried about that, or you're not familiar with the last thirty years of Undertaker's <laughs> yeah, history, like if you don't know what's happened, well, I'm going to give you a quick <laughs> update on that. So you have been forewarned. So I'm going to kind of deep dive into it in three, two, and one. Now, if you are not familiar with the Undertaker, aka Mark Calloway, he has been a allegedly, wrestler. yeah, <laughs> allegedly, yeah, allegedly. Uh, no, because this is one of the few times that the Undertaker has broken character and mm-hmm. talking and, and and have talked like a regular person. The one thing about pro wrestling is there's a lot of mystique with the characters oh, that yeah. they portray and a lot of them don't like breaking character, like saying in character. And for many years, then The Undertaker first debuted on WWE programming thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. So for thirty years he has basically been the character that doesn't say a lot, doesn't do interviews, doesn't do podcasts has been a very mysterious person to follow. And at least at its outset was a character that, like, you just look at it, oh, he's called The Undertaker, and he looks like, a you know, an Undertaker you'd see at a, a funeral home. And it's just like, okay, doesn't seem like it would work, but here we are 30 years later, and it's still going. Well, you have to remember, in the land of pro wrestling, especially in the 1980s and 90s, there are a lot of characters. Gobbledygook. A gobbledygooker? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, that is one that was an actual turkey that yep. hatched from an egg. Yep. No lie, folks. You can if you YouTube wanna, it. if you want to go through YouTube and just type in worst wrestling characters, you'll see a lot. I mean, you've seen everything from former hockey players yeah. to uh, Mortal Kombat character ripoffs. Dennis Rodman. Well, Rodman is Rodman, so yeah. enough said about that. I mean, the man, the myth, the legend of the Last Dance. It's true. But talking about the Last Ride. This was a behind-the-scenes look at The Undertaker that we have never seen before. So for a wrestling fan that has grown up and only seen the character on television or at an arena, you've never seen the behind-the-scenes. And this really broke down what he has been about. 
This is pro wrestling's The Last Dance. Mm. That is how good this is. Okay. And it really goes back to uh, his history going in through WrestleManias. And you see him and his streak at WrestleMania. Right. So, like I said, this has been done for many years. They have a lot of footage. And one of the strongest takeaways from this, and I know you guys can touch upon this as well, is how do you think his relationship is with Vince McMahon? Um, I would say up and down. You know, just because you think of some of the stuff that's gone on over the years and some of the disagreements they might have had. I'd say maybe right now it's okay. It's probably not as good as it once was, but it's not awful. I would say it's along the lines of a father-son type situation. Mm -hmm. I I mean, you know, uh, Undertaker was Vince's baby during the you know early 90s and then especially once the streak really took off and and became uh had some legs of its own and everything then really it was vince's and then it really became vince's baby and you know i i know you know from what you've heard in stories that vince respects uh loyalty and you know appreciates that and no one's been more loyal than undertaker yeah i mean going off that point there's probably got to be you know a deeper sense of respect between the two than maybe Vince has with anybody else, including family. Just because like you said, Vince values loyalty above anything else. And you look at the nineties and and especially during the Monday night wars with WCW and how bad things got that at any point were undertaker to leave and go to WCW. Vince would have been mad, but I think a lot of people would have been like, yeah, okay. You know, WWF at the time, you know, sucks. You, you know, you're going to the better product. Nobody faults you on that. But as bad as things got, he stuck with them. Yes. Coach, you are correct about the father-son analogy. Yes. Because they even show how deep their their relationship is when they showed The Undertaker coming back from the concussion he received. Well, I was just going to say, nothing more than the concussion incident when – Vince leaves WrestleMania. Yes. Yeah. Leave, this is yeah. Vince McMahon leaving his biggest event to go to the hospital right. with a performer. Yes. During the biggest show of the year. Nothing more speaks to. He probably, if Shane was having a birth of a grandchild, would not leave to go see the grandchild. But mm-hmm. Undertaker having a concussion and as bad a shape as he was, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Just, it shows how deep their bond is. And you can hear about how the Undertaker said he stayed because – he really has that connection with Vince, and he said he would take a bullet for Vince. Mm, and, I believe it. And for Vince, too, this is something that he is very, I don't want to say stoic on camera, but he tries not showing a lot of emotion. You can go through the years of Vince McMahon being on TV. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. He's, he's pretty straightforward. I don't want to say robotic, but mm. let's face it, we don't see a lot of emotion outside of the character he plays on WWE right. programming. Well, right. I would say the biggest things that have dove into, you know, the who Vince McMahon is was obviously the, the steroid trial in the early 90s, mm-hmm. if you were alive for that. Yeah. The uh, Bret Hart documentary, um, Wrestling with Shadows, mm-hmm. that aired on A&E. And if you haven't seen that, that follows the Montreal Screwdrop. I highly recommend going to watch that. And then, um, you know, other things have been all hearsay, you know. Uh, as much as the dark side of the ring did cover things, you know, it doesn't have direct statements from Vince. So you don't know exactly what was going on. So, I mean, that you can't really gauge his character off of that. So 
And then this, you know, is probably the most behind the scenes that you've seen of actually Vince McMahon. Well, and I think just to speak off of whoever said robotic, you know, I think that is true to a degree just because I saw an article yesterday about Arn Anderson just kind of talking about, you know, his career and everything. And one of the things he brought up was Vince and just how robotic he is that he, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't get into his bubble, you know, that that self-contained bubble, because according to Arn Anderson, Vince gets up in the morning, has breakfast goes to the gym, goes to wherever his job entails him to go that day. If it's WWE headquarters, it's there. If it's insert city here for, you know, a a TV show or a pay-per-view, he goes there and then he goes home and he goes to bed. So, you know, he doesn't give a lot of interviews. He doesn't give because he's such a workaholic, you know, nose to the grindstone work and he doesn't get public very often. He actually breaks down on this. Ooh, interesting. He had to stop rolling and you could see he started crying when he started talking about the connection. That's how really telling this is because Vince doesn't cry, period. Like I say, you can see him on WWE programming, and he'll do whatever he needs to do to get the crowd involved or the sell the whatever storyline he's trying to do Take at a home. stunner at the age of like 60-something. Exactly, but this is where you see Vince break down. Wow. And you can just see that connection right there is the underlying driving force throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And you go through the different moments through the Taker's time period. Like, they go back to his wrestling match against Roman Reigns, which he feels he let Roman down. Right. And it's a very haunting idea that hmm. he knows that his career is winding down. Because let's face it, he's 55. Well, let's, right. I mean, and this is something that's always gotten to me with um, Taker is that, you know, for him at this at this age, he wasn't, you know, he's not Flair. Mm-hmm. He's not no. Michaels. No. He's not this, you know agile mobile guy who was able to throw his body in the ring he was a guy that needed to take you know especially at this point of his life needed to take bumps for him uh-huh. and when you put him in there and i know that that you know the the sexy stuff was you know him versus cena him versus reigns you know him versus goldberg i guess you know him versus you know x wrestler you know that puts him in a tough position because now it's a it's almost more of a 50 50 split than it is you know of uh you know sean when they had those great wrestlemania matches was willing to put you know take bumps for him flair willing to take bumps for him punk you know one of my favorite matches of all time that wrestlemania match yeah um you know was willing to take bumps for him but then uh-huh. when you put him in these matches with reigns and stuff you know, yeah, Undertaker wants to perform and he wants to be the Undertaker of old, but at 55, you've got limitations. Yeah. You know, and it's real, you know? So taking the bumps, being the guy to sell for Roman is not the same as the guy being, you know, able to um, do, uh, be not be the one selling. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was like, I, you know, and I know we'll lead to this, but that AJ Styles thing, I think they could have, even if they would have had a normal in the ring match, mm-hmm. could have been money. Oh, yeah. It, it's one of those questions that, for Taker to really accept that Father Time has caught up to him, uh-huh. that's the telling story. Yeah, because we've always seen the Taker portray the unstoppable force and you know the 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 zombie like character that he well, that he does. I mean, yes and no because I mean, you know, yes, Undertaker, you know, felt like this forever, you know, guy. Every year, everybody knows that he's coming around WrestleMania. Right. But Mark Calloway, the man, I think knew that there was father time was creeping up for him on the ring. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, and, it, and it's, it was always a question for us is when, you know, right. when was it going to be the end? Because we've heard the interviews with Rick and Sean and, and Stone Cold and Hogan and insert retired wrestler that, you know, you never know when it's going to be the time until it's the time. Yeah. And, and that's always been the question for, for taker, you know, for me, 
it was always kind of like I felt like the the perfect ending, and I, and I understand the AJ thing is a perfect ending if it ends up being the end, as we'll get to in a minute. Sure, but you know, almost if that AJ match didn't happen, I realize you know Taker feels he let Roman down for his match, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Just because, Same. just because he gave Roman something creative couldn't, and that was nuclear heat oh, my that God. that he could just feed off of and just try to be the the company badass. Let's not forget Roman came out on that Raw after WrestleMania, and they booed him incessantly, being, nonstop for ten minutes. Being in that building and booing him for ten minutes was honest to God. One of the funnest things in my life. Look up the video. Yeah. I mean, look, look, was, up, look up the it video. It was awesome. Look booing the, him. Look up the video. It's bonkers. Oh, it's not. It was nuts. But, but on the flip side, him taking the hat off and taking the gloves oh. off and leaving them in the ring to me was just perfect. It that's the way it should have walked. Like we, you know, I was with a group of friends. You know, that we went to that show. We were there. We watched him fold everything up. We watched him put the hat down, the jacket down, the hat down, the gloves, and we all looked at each other like. That's it. Uh, that's it. That's uh, yeah. a wrap. Walked up the ramp. Yeah. You know, the pyro's going off. Raise he does, fest. yeah, he does the last look to the ring, does the last look to the stage, does the fist, rides down the thing, and we're like, that was it. And yeah. I'm getting chills thinking about it because it was like that was the magic moment. That was the that was the walk off. That was it. And it was the perfect fitting because, like you said, in the way that the wrestling industry is, you know, it was the rub. It yeah. was the rub that Roman needed because that next night, even though they wanted Roman to be, you know, the face of faces and be the guy that leads the company into the 21st century and and, and you know sell the T-shirts and the pay-per-views and be the main eventer, that 10 minutes where he just said, "It's my yard now. I'm the dog." Yeah. Boo! You know the crowd went nuts, and although it's not the reaction you want, like somebody said a long time ago in wrestling. A reaction is a reaction is a reaction. Oh, yeah. So any reaction you get is good reaction. And name me a wrestler in the entire wrestling history who's gotten that long and that illicit of a reaction. Never. Never. Oh, the, only, Never. the only person that I can think to that's come close is Champa. You know, it, with some of the NXT stuff. Now, it wasn't as yeah, long and it wasn't right. as loud. Right. But that's the only person I can think of that's come close to that kind of nuclear heat. Well, like I say, it just goes to show about the, how impactful The Undertaker is and that, with a match right. with it. Yeah. And, and that's what this documentary series did a great job establishing and you could just see the respect he gets and well deserved oh, yeah. from, from other wrestlers oh, yeah. anybody involved in the business and well the one clip that i really really like and i'm excited for is the fact that you know uh he brings up kobe and i mean obviously there must be an admiration that he had mm -hmm. for kobe because yeah. he does the shot he does the kobe thing Part of his retirement is because he realized that he's been away from home for so long mm -hmm. and seeing kobe you know and what happened to him kind of made him touch with his mortality and the fact that he might not be here forever. So mm -hmm. he wants to be dedicating to home. But the other thing that I touched upon was the NXT stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there is ever a guy who I think could probably, you know, be an amazing coach, especially oh, for God. the big guys, yeah. the Dijaks, the Keith Lees, you know, yeah. the guys who are, yeah. you know, the ones that are going to be the one that put the heat on the matches and not receive the heat. He's that guy yeah. because nobody did a better job of in-the-ring stuff because I, I that's the one thing that, you know, I, again, not the biggest taker guy, but you go back and you watch some of his matches and, you know, everybody makes fun of the psychology and the story stuff, you know, because of the uh, behind the elite and all that garbage, but it's real. And Taker, nobody told a better story in matches than Taker. No. Nobody. That's why I say Taker is an uh, instant Hall of Famer oh. whenever he decides to get put in. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. We were actually debating about this over on 3FN if he would go in next year or whenever because how they leave this documentary is he was never happy with how the Roman match ended. Sure. And they kind of did touch upon his quick match with Cena the next year at right. Mania, mm-hmm. which, I mean, if you can really call it a match. Yeah. And then they kind of dived into a little bit from the Crown Jewel uh, wow. shows. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey. Then, d- 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 oh. which, if I can, real quick, I, that made me so. We talked about it on the show. Oh yeah. That made me so mad. Why booked? I understand why, but why? Why? Why book that match for a 55 year old man with a guy who is in and out of the ring less than he is? Oh, they explain it. Like oh, they, all right, well like, they're good. I guess yeah. I'll have to see it because yeah. I was. I mean, I remember I went on a, one of my fucking tangents for like mm. five minutes about why this match is dumb and how garbage Goldberg is. Yeah, he still is right now too. Yeah. But that doesn't change my opinion until I watch the show. Maybe I'll change my opinion. Yeah, they, like I said, they kind of dive into a little bit from both. Um, okay, I, I can't remember exactly the quotes from that, but they they well, do, I'll skip they, the Goldberg segments. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, they, I only want one side of the story. Well, you know, you, you'll get you'll get. Uh, the takers because I hope Taker shits on him the way that Bret Hart shits on Goldberg too. Wow, I can't remember exactly what happens, <laughs> but it, it's I saw, oh, I know I've gone to I saw this uh, uh, tweet the other day. It goes, I want somebody to love me as much as Bret Hart hates Goldberg. That is incredible. I was like, that yeah, is that's, incredible. A, that's a deep love, if, if, folks. If you know the history of pro wrestling, you know that Bret Hart has a. Very, very public hatred for Goldberg. Oh man, real bad. It's 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 very bad. But they do end though. How you understand how Taker kept coming back? Because yeah. the thing about Taker is he wanted to make sure his last match met his his legacy, and he felt that from the Roman match, it didn't do it. So no. that's why he kept coming back. And he finally is very happy with the AJ match. Um, and they really break. They do a great job about breaking that down. Yeah. And how he basically alludes that that was his final match. However, Vince and him don't exactly say that was it. Mm. Like the way that the Undertaker words it is that he would come back if Vince asked him. Sure, no questions asked. Is like the break glass in case of fire. Sure, scenario break glass for the sure. Undertaker. Well, that will get pulled. Sure. <laughs> yes. Sure. Oh yeah. So so he does word that that he says never say never, and obviously I don't think he wants to. You know, fully accepted, but he is making that transition, like you touched upon, with after Kobe's passing, and mm-hmm. you know, just realizing like there is life after wrestling for him, right? And he really wants to to focus on that. That yeah, he would. He's very content with where he is. Well, sure. I mean, and it's tough because you know you see Flair, you know, and yeah. he's the he's the quintessential example of the guy that just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And although, I mean, I love Flair and his later work, I think is just as good as his early work. Oh yeah. Um, he's that guy that, you know, and he said it many of times that he didn't know what retirement was going to be like. And then when he did walk away, he didn't realize how quiet it was. Mm-hmm. And there's different personalities, you know, sure. obviously Rick thrives and loves the admiration that he gets from the crowd. And then mm-hmm. there's other guys who are a little more quiet and reserved sure. and that's taker. So I think as far as the retirement part of it, He's going to be fine, you know? I think in terms of retirement, I think in terms of having a one-on-one match with people, I think that's over and done with. I think realistically at this point in time, the only feasible match that on paper would make sense is him versus Sting. But that goes back to the point with him versus Goldberg where on paper, that's a really good friggin' match. Right. In actuality, that's two guys 
over 50, one of whom had a very bad neck injury that I don't necessarily want to see just because I feel like it might tarnish the legacy a little bit. Now, if it's done in the uh, Boneyard C- match. Cinematic style. I can, cinematic I style. Yeah. But I don't doubt Taker coming back, like Ken said, in case of gla- you know emergency break glass type scenario. I can, I can totally see him showing up on like a Raw or a SmackDown episode just for shock value and story purpose. I can maybe even see him showing up at a random uh, Royal Rumble or something. Something's quick. That'd be great. Quick, that would be cool. Quick, short, and it's one of those. And it's one of those you know holy shit moments that you don't see coming. Yeah. Now, well, come on, Ken, real quick. So, what? So I'm sold. I'm going to watch this now because you have convinced me. Thank you. What is the one thing that you wish that they did differently, though, for the documentary? Yeah. You know, honestly. There wasn't anything that really jumped out. Okay. That I thought maybe, I mean, if they really wanted to deep dive into the streak a little more, okay, I think they could have. But how they explained it, it was, it was just seemed like it was very quick because he didn't realize he had the streak going until he got to be about match number nine in the, in the WrestleMania streak. Right. Mm-hmm. And then finally somebody told me like, hey, you know, you never lost at WrestleMania. So I thought that, like they they could have done. And I think up. that was the, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, handicap match. I that believe he had so. With, uh, Big Boss Man and somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was one of those. But it was oh Prince Albert. Yes. I think it was it was Prince Albert and somebody else. And yeah. like yeah, that was when he realized that he had the streak. Yeah, because somebody brought it up. Because I I thought they could have made more of a note of that and just maybe uh-huh. maybe deep dive a little bit more about that for my liking. Uh-huh. Okay, but but I wasn't. I didn't think there was anything that, like they left really on the table because I mean they showed that he did stay when everybody left to WCW and. Mm. I mean, they did have a lot of wrestlers come back that have sure. Have, did they touch on him in the what he did to Vince after the screw job? I'm blanking on that. Okay, right all right. Well, I'll I watch want, it. I'll I, let you know. Yeah, I, I want to say yes, but so I know he's addressed that in recent interviews. He's he done. has. Yeah, he's he's been a little vocal about that. I'm blanking on that one right now because okay. the third episode okay. I remember watching, but I don't remember all of it. So sure, I'm thinking that's when it was. Okay. Now but, then, what? And then let me ask next. What was your favorite? What was the takeaway? I guess your favorite moment from this. The favorite moment, honestly, was really getting that behind the scenes. Okay. Because, like I say, for growing up watching wrestling, the Taker has always been a mysterious figure. Uh-huh. I mean, just. When he became the Undertaker, not when he was Mark Calloway and, and Mean Mark Calloway in WCW, right? Where you know he was with Paul Heyman, and I mean a lot of people forget about that. It was now okay. He went and fully embraced the character. I mean, that like the takeaway of it is how much he devoted right. to being the Undertaker, like in everything. Mm-hmm. Even though you hear behind the scenes, totally different story. Right. And just how you he was the head of the locker room and just when everybody left. And he even shows that one promo where he's like, I stayed. I didn't leave. Okay. And just to see like how he's always been very reserved about coming out in interviews and talking about behind the scenes. Like you never see this. But to see him so casual mm-hmm. was like, whoa. What is this? Because it was a lot like when Jordan was sitting there with the with the tablet, and he's seeing everybody's reaction. It was just Taker just sitting in his chair, and he's just right. sitting there, just you know, talking. And he's talking about like a rib he played on AJ Styles. Like mm. it was just like to hear that come out of him. It was like, wait, is this the same guy? And it's just kind of mind blowing in that aspect because of just how much. He really changed the WWE and professional wrestling too. Mm-hmm. For in his heyday. Let's not forget, he was 
one of the best wrestlers on the planet. The gimmick was great. And just for what he could do for being, when I say he's one of the best wrestlers, for being his size and moving the way he could. Like, let's not forget, he used to walk around the top, the top rope. And, you know, they what they always... Well, hell, the uh, um, the flying jump, uh, the uh, tope, yeah, the, or no, just the flying tope that yep. he used to do over the top rope. I mean, that was tremendous. Um, old school yes, is walking you. the That's rope. That's what I'm yep. looking for. Yeah, just when he was, just to think about what he revolutionized that and just what he's put his body through and, well, like, to see just like, that insanity. Like I said, I mean, as if there is not a better, I mean, a guy like Don, Dijak down in NXT, like, literally, that's the first person I think of when I think of comparisons to The Undertaker that, like, if he could borrow and just not necessarily the character, but the move set and the essence and the storytelling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Literally, I mean, if there's a guy that embodies what The Undertaker was in his prime, it's him. You know, 6'10", six, six, 6'11", six, athletic as shit, jumping abilities, the whole nine. Like, that, they're literally one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, that he could really dive in there. I mean, if I was him, that's who that's who I would be studying. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be worried about doing all the kicks and all that stuff. I'd be studying Undertaker stuff and just getting in that mindset. Yeah, it's just something that the Undertaker can definitely influence a lot of the next generation of wrestlers. I mean, the impact he had on the roster when he was there oh, it, yeah. it was tremendous, too. Oh, yeah. And just for how respected he is for everything he's done. And, I mean, you just hear about the stories of how – I, I, I think it was the big show was saying he wrestled through like 103 fever and like the flu for 25 minutes. Jesus. Yeah, in a I mean, match. That's impressive. But and, did it hit a game winning shot with the flu? Well, only so many times you can do, but he could hit a tombstone <laughs> out of kidding. nowhere when you need it. Uh, but just kidding. to see what he would do and just the, the sacrifice he made for the, the company. And, yeah. and I would say the most surprising thing, like I always knew him and Vince had a good relationship, but to see like that bond, like when he literally looks at the camera and says like, I would take a bullet for him. And, like, there's no, like, you can definitely tell, like, when somebody says a line like that right. and when somebody means that. Yeah. Like, I am dead serious. I will do this. It was, like, just to see that side of that, mm. man, is just really incredible. Did they uh, bring up the streak ending and whether it was planned or an on-the-fly call? No. Okay. That's one thing I, I would just like to know. I don't even need all the details. Just because it's been long enough. I realized at the time you didn't want to do it because of Mystique and Oren. And just, I just would like to know whether it was planned or it was an on-the-fly call because of his concussion. Because no. I, I can totally see it being a thing that backstage they're looking and they're going, you know, the plan might have been, oh, okay, Taker's going to go over. And then they realize, wait a minute, he's going through the motions. He's got a concussion. Because if I'm not mistaken, the refs all have an earpiece in there that they can hear, they can hear Vince and everybody in the back. That they then go to the ref and go, hey... We're going to switch this up. Taker can't do this. No, the only thing they, they touch upon during that match is, like, they break down about the streak going into it, They and you get the play-by-play about when he got his concussion. Really? Yeah. Because I know we were trying, that night when we were watching, we were trying to figure out when. That's the thing. He doesn't even know when. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Like, he doesn't know when. He doesn't remember finishing the match, and there is video footage of him coming to the back and collapsing. Mm. And you're seeing Vince scream, mm. help, yeah, help. yeah. And you see everybody come and run and get him, and that's when they segue about how Vince left WrestleMania to go with him mm. and just about the connection of the bond. And then you hear about uh, his wife, Michelle McCool, Taker's wife, was saying he didn't remember his name till 4 o'clock in mm. the morning. Yeah, because I remember hearing that story. Up until this point with the streak being broken, obviously Vince hasn't said anything. 
you know, up till this point. You know, Taker obviously didn't say anything at this point. So the only Brock, of course, talks less than Vince does. No, the only person who's ever talked about how that could be a work is Paul Heyman. Is Heyman. Heyman, you can go and find clips on YouTube from a couple years ago where, where people ask him about it, but it's like trying to read the uh, you're trying to read a 20-sided die like you can't figure it out yeah it, like i say i don't remember seeing that i know like i episode 3 is a little fuzzy to me okay like i don't really remember a lot from that um the takeaway but i always know like when they they cuz that's how they opened up actually it was in episode mm. 1 and they were talking about that cuz they really want to establish the re- relationship between Vince mm-hmm. and Taker Episode two is more focused on like Roman Reigns and the manias after that. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, three and four, they don't really stand out. Mm. I mean, they kind of deep dive a little bit into, obviously, the, the um, overseas shows yeah. that they had with uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H versus Kane and Undertaker. They do talk about that. Aye. They do talk about the Goldberg match. Aye. And then it was just basically how Taker was not satisfied with any of that, and he couldn't. he just could not live with himself. And just going through the different surgeries, like they even do show like one point where he's getting like his like bones in his knees getting worked on, Oof. which is like absolutely frightening to I see. I mean, yeah. let's not. Uh, I mean, all the people that like to shit on wrestling, let's not forget that is one of the most grueling things that you can put your body onto. I mean, you are willingly throwing your back onto plywood. Yeah, I mean, night after no, night, night, night after, after night. night after night after night, and not everything goes perfect. I mean, you can land smooth. But it still hurts. Yeah, it's just one of the wild things to see. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway of this is just to see what he's put himself through for 30 years and to see that now he's, like, at peace with everything. Like he's like, That's good. Yeah, which is great because, I, like, personally, I don't want to see him wrestle again. No, uh, he, same. He's done enough. Like, there's, there's literally nothing left for him to do. Right. And that's why I say with this is just a great documentary series to watch because – if you've never really understood why The Undertaker is such an important figure in professional wrestling, this explains it, oh, okay. in my opinion. Cool, yeah. So let's end this on a quick note. Favorite Undertaker match? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, the Shawn Michaels series stick out to me just because I, you know, I'm a big uh, Shawn Michaels fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really that Punk Taker match. It really doesn't get talked about enough, but. I mean, Punk brought that match and went so hard yeah. in that match. And Taker gave every inch back to him because Punk wanted nothing more to main event that WrestleMania. And it shows. And that's obviously, honestly one of his best body of works because of how pissed he was that he wasn't main eventing that show. So I I think I lean that match. The Shawn Michaels stuff, though, is you know almost untouchable as well. Uh, I gotta say, him versus mankind in Hell in a Cell. You know, I might that okay. might be a cliche answer, but just the the pure insanity with that match. Because having not grown up watching professional wrestling and hearing about it and seeing clips of it and and knowing Jr.'s call, you know, finally sitting down to watching it and getting and getting to the end of the match, I my first thought was everything I've ever heard about this match from my friends was vastly undersold. Yeah, for me, I gotta go with Coach, but I do agree with you, Pat. That was that's my favorite undertaker moment okay and you actually hear a little bit about that match in the documentary mm. and he worked through a broken foot oh my god during this like it's it's absolutely wild to see i mean him throwing mick foley off the top of the hell in a cell cage is yeah. one of the most frightening images in all of pro wrestling you'll ever see in your life and then one of the most frightening images in life period yeah but i have to agree with coach because i was actually at metlife stadium and saw that match in person punk Ooh. versus taker and it was everything I wanted it to be. I'm a huge CM Punk fan. 
And to see that match live, that was my main event. I actually got up after that match, and even though Rock and Cena was closing the show, I started walking to the car. Mm. I could care less about that. That was my main event. That just goes to show just, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that was so, I go just watch it. Go back and, like, because I, I went back because my uh, son, uh, big, uh, he was into Taker for a while, so he wanted to watch Taker stuff, and he loved CM Punk because I'm a Punk fan, so we have a bunch of Punk figures and, and memorabilia. So he, uh, you know, wanted to see Punk in that match, and I, so I went back and I just watched it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously saw it, but now I went back and watched it, and you know, the story leading up to it, yeah, sure, wasn't the best. You know, with using uh, the passing of Paul Bearer and the urn and everything as the as the crux of the story, but the match was pure yeah every near fall i actually was like i disbelief was suspended and that's when for especially uh i guess uh you know uh uh, smart you know Mm -hmm. uh you know to have my uh to me to be able to dis uh spend my disbelief you know is very rare and i every time that punk had a near fall i i or he hit to go to sleep i was like this is it this is it he's actually gonna do it and then the kick out Ah, you know, like to have those moments, that's what those are the matches that are memorable to me because it doesn't happen very often anymore because false finishes happen all the time. So you almost you see a finisher 10 minutes into a match, and you just sit back and you're like, that's just going to be a two count. Yeah, there it is. You know, like Gargano and Ciampa did that a lot. Like yeah. Their false finishes were like, <gasps> you know, yeah. so that that uh, those for me, like that's why it was so magical because I believed every finish was going to be the one. That's the one beauty of pro wrestling. When it's done right, you have those moments. And The Undertaker has been a part of a lot of those, to say the least, throughout the years. The Last Ride is currently on the WWE Network, so definitely sign up for that. Take a view. It's five episodes, about an hour long in each one. I'll say also, if you want to go back and see some classic Undertaker moments, I just took a look on the WWE app. There On the WWE Network, there is a best of WWE for Undertaker on there. It is about seven hours long, so probably all the best moments of Undertaker's career. It's worth the deep dive on your wrestling time this week. So definitely check it out. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your favorite Undertaker match and moment, and what did you think of the last ride? We need to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom, from movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let us talk some baseball. Now, yeah. there is a slight update since last episode, Pat. Yeah, so last week we were kind of looking at them. Will it happen? Won't it happen? Uh, that seems to be happening. Uh, according to Jeff, both Jeff Passan of ESPN and Jim Bowden of uh CBS Sports. Uh, this is a, hey, news breaking while we're recording for once. Hey. Uh, Jeff Passan said, quote, the Major League Baseball Players Association has agreed to report to training camps by July 1st and play a 60-game season, sources tell ESPN, but the deal is not finalized yet. 
One last health and safety hurdle to get over, and Major League Baseball will be back a week from tomorrow. Uh, Jim Bowden saying, quote, hashtag MLBPA has informed MLB players will report on July 1st for July 24th opening day. 60-game season in 66 days. They are both still working on finalizing safety and health protocols, which, quite frankly, will be something both parties will continue to improve on going forward, close quote. So, looks like we got a season. Definitely looks like we got a season. Coach, your thoughts? I told you so. Uh, I knew there was going to be a season. I had no doubt that they were going to do it, I think. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, I'm going to claim that I did. No, I mean, it... It's just you have to do it. You had to have a season. Um, I it's crazy that it took this long to to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the interesting thing is going to be what they're going to do because I mean a major league baseball roster is how many thirty thirty guys thirty something I, mean, I forget the exact no twenty so five twenty five twenty five I mean, forty act forty man active but then in the actual stadium it's like 25 yeah so i mean that's that's going to be something logistically that's going to be difficult i think to navigate because i mean between pitchers and bullpen and right and dugout and everything i mean you're going to have to be very hypersensitive on how that's going to be handled um and then also in addition to that logistics i Uh mean what are you going to do as far as i mean I, i mean from this standpoint let's just think about like all right so how are you going to handle with not having minor leagues? Like, are you going to expand the rosters a little bit and have people there, you know, just in case of call-ups? I mean, I know, yeah. you know, emergency pitchers is a real thing. Yeah. So, you know, so how is that going to be handled in case that situation comes up? Uh, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to keep everybody in Florida and Arizona? Because now the Yankees and the Mets have right. both said that they're staying in New York. Well, the New York governor said that if spring training were to uh, start up again, that the Yankees and Mets would just stay in New York and do that. Yeah. So but, they're going to be doing that there. I, I think they got to figure out where they're going to play. I, I think the initial plan, if I remember correctly, was they were just going to have them play the games down in spring training, you know, the spring training facilities down in, down in Florida and Arizona. You know, but with everything going on and the cases going up in Florida, who really knows? Just because every state is at a different point when it comes to number of cases and just the overall safety. Yeah, it's still a little wild situation to think of. I mean, I know I said last week I didn't think it was going to happen, and I know that they're forcing the issue to have this because I know it's been going back and forth about agreeing on the 60-game season. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it looks like there is some progress, great. But you've been wasting our time arguing about money that I'm so, like, I'm not even excited for the season huh. this year. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm going to be honest that when anytime you're arguing about money during a pandemic and the health and safety issue is not first and foremost, I'm not going to get that amped up about it. I'm not going to be very honest with everybody. But if the season does get rolling and they are saying if everything is finally agreed to, which we are still waiting on final agreement as we are recording, correct? Yeah, we're still waiting on final agreement. It does appear that they've agreed on the 60-game season. You know, so that all seems to be in in the war in the works and done. It just seems like they're working on finalizing the health and safety protocols. Yeah, the, like the which fact, make which makes sense. It, it, no, it makes sense, but it's just like I'm surprised they didn't get that done first. Like you know, for me, I know, that, and maybe that's just me overthinking it, and I'll be the first one to say that. Well, no, I mean you're you have seven days. Yeah, you have seven days to. I mean, for example, the PLL uh, Premier Lacrosse League, they have players in Utah right now in quarantine. 
mm-hmm. for a tournament you know play that they're doing for their season instead of the regular season like they normally would be doing they have players in utah in quarantine now mm-hmm. like this is three weeks out the nba is having players report now their training camp starts the 14th yeah so you right. mean to say that you need to and i mean the nhl who the hell even knows what they're doing right now because they haven't even they've had some players report back but not all of them and they're the ones that have reported are in quarantine now practicing You're right you have seven days yeah this is just disastrous. I, for me, this this is just not adding up. That we've wasted so much time arguing about money that now we're finally in a place where, okay, we're going to have a season. Great. But we're not ready to run. Like, well, you got to remember, they were already working on plans to operate and get stuff going, but just the, the disagreement between games and pay, and pay scale and everything else just kind of put that on the back burner. So I would imagine whatever plan, public knowledge or not, that they were working on uh, for safety and health stuff that might have got put on the back burner, they just got to pull up the old you know Word document and, all right, let's, let's brush this off. Well, just hopefully everybody agrees to it. I mean, that's the yeah. thing now at this stage. because I, w- I would imagine, much like with the NBA, where you've got, depending on what time you're reading it at, some players saying they're going, some players saying they're not going, I'm going to imagine there's going to be some players opting out and not playing the season just mm-hmm. for their own safety reasons and, and their own personal reasons. Sure. You know, which I fully understand and I fully get. And and I would imagine some of those are going to be, there's probably going to be some fairly big name players who just, you know what, going to take the year off, don't want, want to risk it. You know, but I I think with them being in contact with the, the health officials, it won't take long, I would imagine. No, you would hope not at this plus stage. They've already, plus, they've already got a blueprint for this. The Korean baseball league has been running for like the last two months. Right, that's what I say. Like, they should follow have, their method. They should have this mapped out. Just the fact that we're not hearing anything about it, and now that's the holdup. <sighs> to be fair, we didn't hear anything about the UFC's mess until you know the week of the event. No, I grant you, but at least they weren't stopping. Uh, yeah, you know, their I plans. Just, like, I just think it's so tough. That's forty people that you have to have locked in quarantine for now. The next, se- I mean, but that's the thing. Those like people are going to be reporting. Mm-hmm. So you're planning on starting July first. Well, mm-hmm. the, the spring training's July right, 1st. Right, spring training. But you got to get players there, temperature check, probably. Here's the other thing, too. Some sort of test that they have in place and get these players locked in place. I, here's, here's the thing, though. Nightmare. Normal spring training is they, you know, you've got some players who haven't been done any baseball activity, hardcore, since maybe September. Yeah. So when you're talking January, February's pitchers and catchers report, they haven't done anything hard since for months. I've seen, now, admittedly, it's only Yankees players because I follow some of them on social media. Sure. I've seen videos of Gary Sanchez, a Yankees catcher, working on his catching at home. I've seen video of Aroldis Chapman throwing God knows how fast heat at his house. There was video the other day or a picture the other day of Garrett Cole pitching at Yankee Stadium. At this point, they can go. It starts July 1st. You know, the season starts July 1st, 24th. You can have him down there and just have him quarantine for two weeks because they've been going you know they've all got i'm sure they've all got houses they can rent houses down there that you know they can just sit there they could work on their own stuff at at, at home because it's easy enough with technology these days that you could have a trainer for the team video call in and look at the stuff and and now admittedly it might not be as good as seeing it as in in person but they can quarantine themselves for at home for two weeks work on their craft have the you know the the trainers and whoever else, you know, the pitching coaches, batting coaches look at and go, okay, hey, do this with your leg, do that with your arm. I, it can work because, let's face it, I've seen admittedly, like I said, Yankee videos, but the players haven't stopped training and getting their work done just because of COVID. Oh, the baseball stuff's going to be easy. It should that, be. That stuff's going to be – it's the logistical nightmare of 
COVID. Yeah. <laughs> that is going to be the issue because yeah. that's the the common denominator in all of this. The baseball stuff that's easy. It's that I mean that that is why the NBA is having players report. That is why the PLL locked their players in Utah. Like there's specific reasons why these steps were taken, and that is because of player safety and making sure that they could adequately test and retest and properly uh, make sure that people are safe. I mean, that's why the UFC, you know, right now after the first debacle, you know, now is having players in their training camp report two weeks earlier. Yeah. This is seven days and 40 players per team at 32 teams. Well, it's a 40-man active roster, but like I said, normal season, there's only about I want to say it's like 25 or something in the dugout. Right, but I mean, if they're going to continue to carry 40-man, let's just say that they're carrying 40-man rosters still. I would imagine they're going to do that. Right, times 32. That is, I mean, almost uh, over 100 players yeah. per team. It's something to really struggle figuring out, and that's why I say that's with over this. over 1,000, isn't it? Yeah, it's over 1,000. Yeah, it's over 1,000. Yeah, I was going to say that's yeah. way over 1,000. But for Major League Baseball – they've backed themselves into the corner doing this. I mean, the fact that they should be ready to go at the drop of a dime right now. Right. Because all they've been doing is arguing. And I know the players should be getting ready, like Pat touched upon. Social media, if you follow them, yeah, everybody's working out at home and and doing whatever they're doing. So they should be in prime shape, ready to rock right now. Uh, Not that I'm a huge fan of of tournament play and stuff. Mm -hmm. And not to, you know be partisan here because of my love and uh, uh, infatuation with lacrosse here, but you know I feel like Premier League got it right because doing tournament play and and the robin, round robins I think would be the easiest thing from a logistical standpoint because I know I said before the cactus and the grapefruit leagues can you know play each other and that's you know then those are the two divisions this year. Mm-hmm. It almost even be easier I think if you just kept it in. Uh, uh, Robin and round robin play that you just do, uh, or pool play that's what it is. Pool play, you know, just have the divisions play each other, and then that division winner now just goes on into the tournament. And then I the playoff just would be one game, you know, mm-hmm. one game playoffs, yeah, or at, at most three, yeah, you know, best of three series, yeah, and you know, kind of go from there. Um, because then that keeps it within that 60 day limit, I yeah. think, you know, yeah. if you did it that way. Um, cause I mean, it's just, this is going to be really tough if you're going to try and do a full 60 game season, especially with how baseball is yeah. the fact that you play, um, you know, game, game, game off game, game, game off, you know, you have series versus just regular matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to make it even tougher now. It's just, it's tough. I mean, yeah. like you said, Ken, it's just because they've been arguing and squabbling back and forth that they've backed themselves into this corner now. Yeah, and that's the problem that they're going to have to figure a way out of. And can they do it? Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure they can. Yeah, I'm sure they can. But just doing the optical test, like the same thing we gave the UFC scrutiny for when yeah. they didn't come right out. We got to give, we got to keep it fair with everybody. Yeah. Major League Baseball, the fact that they don't have a, a plan at least set up right now that we know of. Well, at least we don't know publicly. I right. would imagine there's a because of the focus for so long has been on games and pay. They they might have been working on something in the background and I, just nobody gave a shit. I hope so. No, I really do because I, I can't imagine that with the possibility in, in Manfred's guarantee, you know, well, guarantee yeah. that there will be a season. You know, I can't imagine that the powers that be in 
both organization level, players association level, and Major League Baseball level sat on their hands and didn't do anything and didn't come up with a plan. You know the only thing, though, Pad, I'm not doubting you, but I'm also not doubting that they didn't do anything. It's just how they've handled this entire situation. <sighs> yeah, I, just, I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in them. Do you know, like we don't know if they've instrumented a plan for because like the college football teams, they all they all have logistics now. They yeah. all know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Players are going to report to school two weeks early, and they already have. They're going to be locked in quarantine for the next three weeks, test, retest, temperature checks, workouts via Skype or Zoom, um, and, and you know, that's how they're going to engage as far as position practices and then weight room with your position. And then from there – uh, you know, if you do become positive, you know, if you do have a positive test, then that one player gets isolated. And then, you know, once I think was it like, a, you know, once you're recovered, then you can be back in with the team. But that's going to be 14 days after recovery. I don't got a lot of I'll be honest. I don't got a lot of faith in college football just because you had what was it like double digit Clemson players. So they, they so it was LSU that had 40 players that they put in quarantine. But the only reason why they had those 40 players in quarantine was because they had temperatures. Mm. They weren't symptomatic or had symptoms. They just they ran fevers, and they just put them in a quarantine. Like, I know, for example, Notre sure. Dame. Like, that's what they're doing. They're locking the players in for two weeks. So with baseball, everybody's been everywhere. Yeah. Now you're bringing them in. You're flying them in. Or, I mean, you don't even know where you're bringing them. But July 1st, you're starting. Yeah, it's just figure it out. It's just the uncertainty that is in place. Like I'm sure they're going to have a setup ready to go, but like you touched upon, we don't know a lot of it to the public, and for them to still be saying, "Well, we still have to work it out," it's not the big vote of confidence that I think they should be publicly saying right now. That's just me about it. No, I mean, I would think that if anything, I would just announce that we have an agreement and there will be baseball. Yeah, I would have just kept it at. You know, there's no need because, I mean, the part of the thing, too, is Manfred, when he made this announcement of uh, July 1st start day, you know, uh, the owners unanimously decided. Yeah. Now you're putting the Players Association in the corner. Oh, and now you now you be able to paint them the bad guys. Here we go. As we sit here recording, a gentleman by the name of Chris Cotillo. Apologies if I uh, butchered that. Sorry, Chris. Red Sox beat reporter for MassLive.com. Uh, some health pl- health and safety proposals for Major League Baseball's latest plan. Uh, this was dated three gate uh, from 620. Temperature symptom checks twice a day. Okay. COVID tests every other day during spring, tr- spring regular season, and postseason games. Antibody testing about once per month. High-risk players can opt out. Uh, no pregame exchange of lineup cards. Social distancing encouraged on the field. So I, w- I would imagine that would be like in the middle of a pitching change. You might see the infield guys get together and the outfield right. guys get together and talk shop. None of that. Okay. Uh, pitchers bring their own rosin bag to the mound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Non-playing personnel wear masks in the dugout and bullpen at all times. Wow. Spitting prohibited, but chewing gum is allowed. Okay, thank God. Uh, yeah. yeah, I need to good, have my gum. Good, good luck on this last one. Fights are strictly prohibited. Well, whatever. Good luck on that last but, one. No, all right. So I like that. I mean, I'm not a huge thing about COVID tests every other day, considering where we are in the country yeah right. as far as covid test that yeah. i'm not too keen on but uh everything else i think is great maybe separate base maybe separate bags you know for runners and position players maybe. i'm kidding i'm just I, that was just no but you, silly, but, but you know it's the one thing about sports now that is adapting to the c19 world well so I, it, it, is anything out of the realm well, i mean and like i said earlier realistically whoever's in charge of that korean baseball league that's on espn at like one in the morning <laughs> shoot them an email just go like hey 
Send, what are you doing? Send, yeah. send us some tips. What's your What's your blueprint so that we can go off of something? Then, because that's, they've been doing that swimmingly. And that's what they should do. And for Major League Baseball, okay, so we got the season. Everybody's finally at a, at a good place with just a minor thing about the health and safety, and then we're going to have baseball. Overall, also we should know uh, some of the r- rule changes. I know they were putting in. Um, there was talk of an expanded postseason. I yeah, don't. I, I don't know if that's going in. This year, the one that I have seen a bunch that does appear to be going in is a universal designated hitter, which, thank God. No, I did see that they were talking 20, 2020 and 2021 season. There would yeah. be extended playoffs due to the to this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, yeah the DH thing is smartest idea. Smart, yeah, it's just it needs to happen. Looks like Yankees fans all remember all too well Ching Ming Wong rounding second base when Houston was still in the National League and breaking his leg. Yeah, the designated hitter rule needs to be in place. Well, not only just for that standpoint of it's just it's so silly that yeah. I mean, th- imagine if the NF the AFC and the NFC played by two different rules where mm-hmm. you know, like in the your quarterback had to be your punter in the yeah. AFC, but plus, in the NFC, you you could have a, you could carry a punter. Plus, the thing of it is too, I forget who on the Yankees said it. It might have been Jabba Chamberlain years ago, but he got asked about the possibility of having his first major league at bat when they went to the National League for something. And he is, I don't remember the exact quote, but he was essentially like, I'm not entirely looking forward to it because I haven't had to swing a bat since I was in middle school. Right. Exactly. So, so for a lot of guys, yeah, the National League guys, they bat every five days when they go to pitch. But the American League guys, some of them probably haven't hit a bat since they were in high school. They laugh about it. You yeah. can see them at the batter's box and they're laughing. It's, it's well, the most generic stance in history. Well, what, what, uh, yeah, what, there was one pitcher who was literally just fanning yep. at the ball because he was just like, get me out. Um, but no, I mean, I, Sports, you know, glad that it's back. You know, I mean, not that I'm the biggest baseball guy, but people need a distraction, and it's a welcome distraction. I just want to make sure that, you know, whatever they do as far as making sure that the players are safe and hearing that players that are quote-unquote high risk can opt out Mm -hmm. is the right move because I would have been concerned that MLB would have been a little more stricter on that. Also, there is plans in place. Jason Stark tweeting, uh, last I heard, the health and safety protocols had grown 40-something pages longer than the 67-page original and were growing all the time. So many questions trying to answer, so many problems to try to solve, so many crises to try to head off. So uh, according to Jason Stark, the 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 uh, health and safety protocol page is at least over 100 pages long. We'll stop pouring water on it and it won't grow. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean... Gremlins joke. If they're taking... If they're taking the right steps, that's great. But like I say, the fact that about what they've aired publicly, especially with how this whole PR nightmare has been for them, they just got to make sure they're on point you and th- everybody's going to. You think ready. this is ugly? They got a CBA coming up. There oh, is. I three, think they, I think they got a CBA next year. There's three <laughs> factors that have hurt this baseball process: COVID, obviously, social media, social. Well, all right. So maybe there's a few more: social media, the players' union versus the owners, mm-hmm. and time. Yeah. So, however, baseball can come up and solve this riddle, great. But you have to. The time window is is getting very very short right yeah. now. So they got to make some moves and they got to make them happen. I quick. just need sports back and the, that includes baseball. The only thing that you know benefits and helps baseball is the fact that ESPN is re-airing and airing mm-hmm. the Last Dance twelve times a day, yeah. Yeah. three days a week. Also, the Last Dance ended what like a month ago, and they're still re-showing it. I mean, they re-aired it on ABC this past weekend. Yeah. So I mean, there's an audience waiting. Well, there's there's hi, I'm one. There's yeah. time. You know, there networks have time. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing. I mean, you might see more baseball games on national TV now than you ever did before. Could be. 
You you could possibly see that, but I think now with them coming back in July, same with the NBA, same with the NHL. I mean, for sports fans, it's going to be a great time. Well, so, call me stubborn, call me stupid. I need baseball to come back. I miss watching it. No, on TV. Pat, I miss watching it on TV. Pat, I miss listen, getting. Pat, I, miss, I'm not, I miss getting home from work and turning a game on. Hey, your love of baseball, I respect. I'm it's not, just not, I'm not for everybody. I'm, I'm, not mean, ha- I'm not hating on it at all. Yeah. I'm just saying, for me personally, this year. With all the drama they've done, sure. I'm just not as amped up as I have been in years. And, I mean, I can say as just not a baseball fan, I'm just not amped up because I wouldn't be amped up normally. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. I mean, I'm just glad sports are back, and I'm glad that they are doing the right thing. I'm glad that they could stop butting heads because that's what baseball does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that they're coming back. Now, I've already said that baseball should be the sport that comes back because it logistically worked. I'm not, as an NBA guy, excited about NBA coming back because just move on. Just the season's lost, and let's just move on. I mean, the number of players that have said that they're not coming already for these teams. Trevor Ariza stands out as somebody from Portland that was like, he was a focal point on this Portland team right now, and now he's not coming, and Portland had a chance to make a run. So, like, if you're going to have these major or cogs of pieces that are intricate to your team not come, it, it, it's a t- it's a tough question to ask for all your your players involved in your organization. Well, and 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 I listen. I respect the hell out of the reason why he's not going because it is the time that is the month that he would you know normally gets to have his daughter. Yes. I respect the shit out of that. The oh fact yeah, that he's willing to sacrifice. Yeah, that's what I his career. No, it's not COVID. It, he's willing you know to be a father. Respect the hell out of that, and I respect the fact that the NBA is allowing them to do this in Major League Baseball. I'm just saying like. If this is going to be the thing where players are going to be opting out and not going, it's like why would you want to have a season when you know you're looking at the fact that Zion Williamson could easily just say I'm not going, and I mean, then what I'm, are you going to do? I may give this Chris Cotillo guy a follow. Uh, okay, digging through his timeline a little bit more uh, about an hour ago. Spring training reporting dates will be staggered. Players will be at ballpark at different times. Major League Baseball is not closing the door on spring training exhibition games at the end of camp. Uh, <laughs> Major League Baseball is likely to make all media access happen via Zoom slash video chat this year. Media members will be allowed to be in stadiums, but will not get close to players. Two sources today said the rough estimate is 35 media members per game, including photographers. Uh, and, that, and he says, I believe broadcasters are in a different category here. So... Baseball is definitely going to be setting some... Uh, They've got a bunch of ideas at a wall, and they're yeah. just like, boom! They're going to be setting uh, a lot of precedent with this one. Zoom meetings, nailed it. Well, it's just funny to me because it's like... The, the NBA had a good plan. Mm-hmm. Lacrosse has had a good plan. Baseball. No plan. F- fuck it. Yeah. Just fuck it. Yeah, it's like, it, it's, I mean, it's literally not <laughs> not anywhere near structured as anything is going to be. But if they can make it work, more power to them. I just think at this stage, sure. they got to make something happen, and they got to make something happen oh. real quick. I yeah, I mean the play the so the um, media staff I've heard so Nordame uh, the podcast I listened to it talked about um, they're assuming that they won't have live press conferences and everything will be Zoom. Mm-hmm. So leveraging your technology is going to be smart because it's there. Um, I mean, obviously, from a uh, media truck standpoint, it's so, with the way technology is, it is so easy to broadcast anything that you can put two people in the stands and still have enough cameras. Instant replay will be something that will be interesting since it was centralized, right, in a New York location. Yes. Mm-hmm. So depending on how many cameras you have and everything, that might be interesting to see what they can do from there. But the product's still going to be the same. You know, there's nothing going to be worried about there. 
Broadcasting yeah. will be the same. Yeah. I mean, look at the Korean baseball. They have yeah. people doing it from home. The yeah. only the only thing I kind of wonder about is if they end up doing this at the spring training facilities, the numbers this year are going to be through the roof. You thought there were a lot of homers the last two years? Put them in a spring training facility <laughs> for 60 games. It's going to be wild to see firsthand. Barry so. Bonds, we're coming for your uh, home run. Well, that hu- the humid... Well, fuck, I mean, 71, 60 games. That'd in, a be spring, in a spring training facility? Or how short are the fences there? They're bit, shorter. A little bit shorter. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's well, what about that thick, humid air, though? That ball don't travel through that humid air like it does normally. These Make are real interesting. Metal bats. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There's so many questions we're going to have to answer about this that we're just going to have to wait to see July 1st, uh, whatever is going to come down. Definitely we'll be covering it more as we're going to be going into the summer. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Baseball is back. Are you excited? Are you ready? Hit us up. Let us know. Do you have a choice? <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. We're the girls at Unpredictably Us podcast. I'm Athena. And I'm Christy. We're two friends that are running through life's unpredictable obstacles to see how well we achieve or fail those crazy moments. We know a life without some living in it won't provide a story worth telling. So grab some coffee, maybe wine, and buckle up because we're going on another adventure. You can sit with us on Wednesday. Welcome to Unpredictably As Podcast. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Nothing really going on on the local minute except support local, support local, support local. So, Pad, why don't you kick us off around those bases? Got to talk a little hockey because hockey at least have a plan coming uh, forward to restart. It's just a matter of where. Uh, We do at least have an idea of where they're looking to restart the season. Okay. Uh, According to an article on ESPN.com, it reads, quote, The National Hockey League has narrowed its list for the two possible hubs that will host the resumption of the seasons to six cities a source confirmed to espn's emily kaplan the cities are las vegas chicago los angeles edmonton toronto and vancouver have all made the cut uh recently cut uh from this list was pittsburgh and dallas and then columbus was scratched off the list on monday uh the six cities were first reported by the athletic uh article goes on to say las vegas is now considered the u.s favorite to host nhl playoff games uh unless two canadian cities are selected uh, and we should note canada's federal government said last week that it would allow the league to quarantine internally making toronto vancouver and edmonton realistic possibilities so we're getting a little bit closer to knowing at least where and possibly when uh the nhl is coming back fully on board with vegas you know what i actually think and is a Toronto Buffalo situation, mm-hmm. something that has uh, logistically very close. Yeah. Um, you know, also being you know two major cities that have uh, made you know stadiums. Yeah. Because that's the tough thing. The NBA and Disney they have like four courts yeah. down at this Disney thing, so they're going to be able to run games. Yeah. The NHL, there's not a place like that. You know, uh, that can hold host that many teams and be able to to feature the games the proper way so mm-hmm. being in some sort of like 
you know, like Pittsburgh. Sure. That would be like you could do like a Philly Pittsburgh situation, sure. but that's a little bit longer. Sure. Like Toronto and Buffalo are literally, I think, separated by like an hour and fifteen minutes. Like, yeah, if yeah. That. They're, they're yeah. Within, yeah. They're within a couple hours. So yeah. I mean, you could logistic, you know, legitimately plant teams in each city that work, and then go from there. But yeah, I mean, I think Vegas also is a good backup plan just because of, uh, you know, the few of cases i mean yeah. i think that they're one of the lower states as far as cases because it's more of a tourist place sure plus without I'm, tourism <laughs> well plus i'm also wondering too with the arenas that are in vegas like oh. mgm and valleys you yeah. know like where they do the boxing oh. matches yeah. could they make those into more makeshift Man, hockey arenas? You, but i mean if you're not built for hockey you, you're not well that's a question like yeah. i don't i don't know the exact because you got to have figures the concrete there. and everything and you got to be able to pour the water in the ice the zambonis oh. and stuff and then the stadium configuration needs to be you know that bowl type things so. right so i don't like i said i don't yeah. know if they'd be able to swing it this this late in the game right but i'm just thinking with all the places that are not having shows mm-hmm. that sure. usually house boxing right or in the ufc i mean maybe i'll just say maybe but like i say it, it might be real easy especially like if you put it in a place that doesn't have a zamboni to sitting nearby that has a Zamboni that won't be having hockey operate there. Yeah. You know, pay, you know, the arena that houses it. Hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars to borrow your Zamboni and we'll even cover the cost of transporting the thing. I'd be all right if it was at MSG and then you put it in Yankee Stadium and uh, met <laughs> sitting there. As much as cool as it would be to have it in Yankee Stadium, there's no way they're putting ice in Yankee Stadium in July. Dude, could I, you imagine? I that could just shit dream. would melt so fast. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. There wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd have to Zamboni in between timeouts. I know. I just miss going to like, hockey at the Garden. Sure. I'm being selfish. Hey, I get it. But it is going to be what it's going to be. I can't wait for hockey to get back. I'm super excited about that. So for Coach and I, we're going to kind of split the round in the basis segment because we are going to be talking some UFC. Hey, sports. Yes. So this past weekend was a UFC free fight card uh, hailing from the Apex out in Vegas. Uh, Coach, we're going to talk about the two two main events, so we say. So let us talk about the first one that was in the featherweight division, Josh Emmett, Shane Burgos. Fight of the year, possibly. Oh, man, they were slinging fist. Yeah. It is absolutely bananas what was I going mean, on this They fight. were just hammering away. It was, I mean, it was a slugfest early, slowed down a little bit in the middle, and then they finished red hot. Yeah, Burgos does not look like a featherweight by any means. He looked gigantic. Yeah. And Josh Emmett has always been a contender in the top 10. And. I didn't realize like he he got seriously injured in this one. Oh, like, okay. Like tore like I think he tore his ACL or something. Holy like, shit! He, he did something wild in this one, and he swung and he his technique was ridiculous. I mean, I know he's from Team Alpha Male, was doing his thing and just how he was fighting on this. And I know as soon as he got done, he was really getting wound up about the media was already picking against him and and really deep diving in about that. So it was a little wild to see about that. But like I say, he came in there with a little chip on his shoulder and definitely proved it and definitely looked the part of a contender. So I think he's going to be stepping up in that area and where he kind of goes from there. I mean, to even quote what he posted on uh, his Instagram and Twitter, I believe, if I can quote, most people would quit or look away or look for a way out. I never quit. One, complete ACL tear. Two, MCL spray and partial tearing. Three, uh, Baker's cyst rupture for focal impact fracture of femur or the lateral and 
some other tibia damage. Ow. Like, Ouch. Y- if, yeah, so. The list of what's not broken might be shorter. Yeah, so his knee is all types of foobard, if I may say. Uh, but he, because even the caption from, I'm reading this from ESPN MMA on Instagram, Emmett's blown knee was, wasn't stopping him from earning the win in fight of the night. So mm. if he did all that to his knee, and I know he did look like he had something wrong with it, I never saw like exactly what happened. Kudos to you, my friend, because yeah. you put on a fight of the year candidate. Him and Burgos was throwing hands in this one the entire time. So uh, obviously, I'm at one by decision. Very close fight. Very back and forth. So no struggle there. And let us now go to the main event. Alexander Volkov facing Curtis Blades. Your thoughts, Coach? I mean, I know Dana White came out and really crushed Blades for this fight. I mean... He, uh, you know, took Volkov down to the mat a record 14 times, I think it was, in this fight, um, and just basically laid on him a little bit, which Blades, to his credit, kind of said that's what his game plan was, was to take him to the ground and do as much work as he can. Um, Not much work was done, however, but... Still, 14 takedowns is a dominating performance, even though it was five rounds. Uh, Blades late in the fight was running out of gas and was kind of letting Volkov get back in. But every time, you know, when he would take him down, it would just be whether it was a clean takedown or it was a takedown against the cage. Blades, you know, trying to manipulate him back to his back. It just made it for difficult for Volkov to get back in this fight because it was so late in it for him to start to try and make a comeback yeah blades looked really gassed in this oh one. man round four and five was br- i mean he <laughs> yeah so like, he breathing uh, like op- that opened up a proverbial can on him yeah yeah like it was just one of those situations where blades came in talking a lot of hype about this one and and really was trying to sell about how he should be getting a title shot in the heavyweight division and and really trying to sell that and it just after that kind of performance, like how how do you say that? I mean, he's currently ranked Whoa. number three, even though it, it was a dominating performance under over Volkov, who dropped at number eight in the rankings. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, all right, was it sexy? No, yeah. but was it dominating? Absolutely. Yeah, I he, mean, got the he win. took him. He took him down on his will. I mean, I think Volkov had maybe spe- until uh, Blades got gassed in the fourth and fifth round. I mean, he only had two takedown stops. Mm-hmm. So I mean. That to me is still, although he wasn't able to do much on the, you know, on the ground, still dominating. Yeah, he still did what he needed to do. Like I say, he just came in there talking so much smack and, and to really kind of sell himself as a number one contender. But that's what you got to do. Oh yeah, no, I, I understand. It, well, it's it's always the rule of thumb. It's like right, what are you trying to win? Are you trying to win the fight or are you trying to win style points? You can't do both usually. Right. It's, well, it's, it's, I mean, especially when you paint such a big picture as Blades did. I mean, yeah, like he was making himself to be the next Francis and Ganu, and and just. You know, he's going to knock him out in the first round and, and whatever the case was. And he, I think he very much underestimated Volkov. And, when, like I said, he got in there trying to really position himself for the for the number one contender fight. Like, he on paper, yeah, he definitely deserves it. Well, he's number three. He's number so three. it makes sense. He's number three. He's got to wait for the winner of Cormier Miosic, whatever that's going to be. And then Francis Ngannou is ahead of him. And Ngannou already beat him, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So where do you go from here? That's the question that we're going to have to figure out. Well, then I think the Ngannou fight makes sense. Well, Ngannou already beat him. Well, let's do it again. Let's run it back. Hey, I mean, when's the uh, Mircek, uh Cormier fight? I believe that that is in August, if August. I'm not mistaken. But so I think two but, months away. But I think Ngannou is waiting 
to see. Oh, so he's trying to position himself to be ready. Yeah, which I mean, I, yeah. can, I can't. I fault guess him that on. makes sense too. Yeah, like I can't, I can't fault him on that one. It's one of those he knows he's very much due for a title fight. So why, why try Russian? Then give Blades the loser. I mean, yeah, I'd be okay with that. I, I wouldn't have any struggle with that. By yeah, any I mean, means. if uh, if he Ngannou's going to get the winner, mm-hmm. then I, the only thing that makes sense is give Blades the loser. Yeah. I, yeah, I could definitely handle that. Like, I think that that would make a lot of sense. And for Blades, like I say, just after that performance, I know that Dana is always just somebody that really, you know, wants a big, big hype behind it. And just when guys don't perform like that. Well, when you talk shit and yeah. then perform that way, like, yeah, Dana's going to chirp. Yeah. I mean, that's what Dana does. Yeah, so. he, he, d- he does that very, very vocally. Yeah, so. I mean, the moment you say, oh, I'm going to dominate this fight, and then you come out with a fifth-round decision, yeah, yeah, be better believe. But again, though, I mean, record-setting 14 takedowns, although Volkov couldn't stop him, mm-hmm. I mean, that's still hell of a performance. I think the biggest thing was once he got him on the ground, either he was so gassed from trying to take him down or he just didn't, or Volkov's ground defense, he wasn't able to, you know, posture up to try and get any punches in. Yeah. And Volkov, to his credit, was doing work on the ground. I mean, I thought at one point, especially midway through the fourth, uh, he had uh, had him up against the cage and was starting to work in uh guillotine. And I thought at one point he had it in and he was throwing these elbows to, uh, how was it blades back and mm. it was like pound i mean it was boom 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 and eventually you know blades got out of it and was able to reposition himself but he came close to getting him in that guillotine he definitely did so i mean it, like i say it wasn't the worst fight ever but it was just something that the minute blades gassed out it was like no i mean if you're not a ufc guy i wouldn't recommend watching yeah it. i definitely just, wouldn't oh boy yeah it, it's a little it's my a little, phone was checked every once in a while <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was definitely one of those like okay but we'll have to kind of wait to see. I mean, obviously, everything's held up with Miosic in uh, D.C., so till that gets sorted out, everybody's in a standstill in the heavyweight division. But there was one other fight that has generated, I, I hate saying controversy, because uh-huh. I don't think this is as big as everybody's talking about, but I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Now, on the prelim card, there was a fighter by the name of Max Roscoff, uh-huh. and he took a fight on, I believe, five days' notice Ooh. against Ugh. Austin Hubbard. And during this fight, it got to the end of the second round, and Max told his corner he was done, the fight's done, I'm out. Sure. And his coach, Robert Drysdale, was saying, no, you're not, no, you aren't, come on. And, he could, and Max kept saying, call the fight, call the fight. I believe it was said nine times Ooh. in the course of a minute because that's how long you have in the corner. Ultimately, the referee did stop the fight. I mean, Max never came out of the corner, so he didn't take any more damage. And there's been a lot of criticism, I guess, coming at Drysdale for trying to encourage him to continue with the fight. So, Pat, let me start with you. Sure. Do you think there is deserved criticism, or do you think this is overblown? Yes. No, there's absolutely deserved criticism because as knowledgeable as that coach may be, and I can't say how knowledgeable he is. I don't know the man. He is very knowledgeable. You know, well, however that may go, you know, it, it, you know, he's he's. What I mean by that is he he's an old school fighter. Like. Well, whatever that the case may be, yes. he doesn't know what the fighter is feeling. He doesn't know what is going through the thought process. If the the fighter is sitting there saying, "I'm done, I can't do this anymore," that isn't a case of him just you know being weak willed or you know whatever it is, and oh, just brush it off. He'll go through it. No, like if he's saying he can't do it, I'm done. He's done. Like. 
you got to call it. It's your duty as his coach, as much as it is to teach the guy and give the guy advice and opinion and this and that. If the fighter's saying, I'm done, you got to honor that. As much as it might suck and as much as you might hate it, you got to honor that. Mm-hmm. Coach? I mean, as, you know, the, the relationship between you and, and your coach is, you know, you're supposed to be symbiotic. You know, you're supposed to be one. So for a fighter to be saying, hey, I can't go, and the coach to be, no, 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 you know, I understand the idea of mental toughness and, and the will to try to push through, but when your fighter's saying that he's hitting a wall and he can't perform, you know, you gotta you got to do the right thing. you got to pull him out of there. I mean, that is your job as the coach to keep your athletes safe. Mm. So for him to say, no, 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 you 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 know you can go back in there and go back in there, I mean, what if that would have led to something serious? Yeah, because that's the issue you run into is, okay, let's just say parallel universe, the fight keeps going, the fighter gets in there, the fighter gets hurt. That's now on the coach that, hey, he was telling you he couldn't go, but you pushed him back out there, and now he's hurt. You know, so thank God nothing like that I mean, happened. you saw what happened to Apollo in that fight against you know Ivan Drago. I yeah. mean, that shit is real, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I grant you on that. Um, like I say, I didn't think this was as controversial as everybody was kind of making it seem because what it, I th- my interpretation of what Drysdale was doing is he was trying to motivate his fighter. And, sure. And, and, and I took it as that. It wasn't as he wasn't listening to him as as some of the controversy has been. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, yeah. your job as the coach is to motivate your fighter. Sure, yeah. and on the surface I understand that, but at some point about the fifth or sixth time in under 60 seconds that he's saying, I can't go – I feel like the light bulb should have gone off in the coach's head going, oh, this isn't him just kind of you know messing around. He's being serious. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, and that's where I think the problem is, and that's where the controversy is being stemmed from. Yeah. Isn't from the initial, hey, I can't go. No, no. You're like, cool down. Breathe. Sure. Breathe. Uh, you know? I'm sure we've all had moments like that in our life where not obviously not being in a fight or in a UFC event, but we've had moments in our life where it's really tough. Something's, you know really heavy whatever it is and you just go man i I don't know if i got this yeah right yeah it's one of those situations like i say i know that this has been really criticized about like i didn't personally have an issue with it because the way he was just really trying to do his talk his fighter and going it because if if max is going to continue his mma career this could be something that is a very crushing blow and and something Mm -hmm. that could have lasting effects right and i understand why drysdale was pushing him Obviously, at the end of the day, Drysdale agreed to it, and they did cancel the fight. Right, but it was just one of those situations that a lot of people were like really very critical about. Well, and, and I and, saw that they're investigating it. Yeah, and like all this. Like, it's like to that degree. Like I'm just like, no, stop. Yeah, I guess for to have an investigation on him. Like I mean, what is what is you know both parties going to say? You know, I didn't think I could go. I was trying, you know, my, my fighter couldn't go. I was trying to motivate him to stay yeah. in there because this is a, you know, potential career-altering fight given the fact that he was fighting on five days' notice or ten days' notice and, you know, trying to, to motivate him to finish this fight because of what it could do for his career. Ultimately, though, my, you know, posh, my position was incorrect and, you know, we pulled out of the fight. Yeah. Done. Yeah. So, like I say, for all the extra controversy with this, I, I, I don't think it's really – that warranted in my opinion. I understand why there is some controversy. I do get that. Sure. But I'm just saying for like an investigation or whatever, like it's, it's not like, like he was like putting him in the back and sticking a needle in his ass and saying, here, take this pain medication. So you don't feel anything. Yeah. Like, it was just like, you can go, you can do it. You yeah, know, and he was just really trying to hype him up and, and get him to go. So it's like, 
I just did not struggle with that. Like for that aspect, I was like, no, I go, he's just really trying to motivate him and really is trying to boost his fighter's confidence up. So it's like for everybody that was freaking out about that, I just sat there and I was like, ah, you guys are really stretching about this. And Pat, I know that you're not too familiar. Drysdale was fighting in like the early days of MMA. Okay. Submission, like Matt, like he could pull out sure. a lot of crazy submissions. So that's why I was saying like he is a very knowledgeable coach. The man of a thousand holds? Uh, maybe not that much because, I mean, there's only one Chris Jericho, but still. It's <laughs> very true. But Drysdale is like a very, very experienced submission guy. Like, Arm uh, like, bar. Yeah, like not really so much with the UFC. I think he's fought a lot of times outside of it. Sure. But either way. So that's why I kind of that. But I, that, like I said, I just kind of want to get the opinion of everybody. And well, that. and just being an old school guy, you know, he's not going to want to hear his fighter say, I quit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just, that's generation versus generation. Like when my 10 year old sits there and is throwing a temper tantrum about having to pitch on a Saturday morning because, you know, that's when her pitching coach was available and she is tired because, you know, I'm like, no, Olivia, get your ass up. You're going to go pitch. Like, deal with it. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. That's, I mean, when I was in sports, I was, you know, first one in the locker room, last one out because I wanted to work. Yeah. Get get your ass to work. Exactly. So for that one, I thought it was kind of a little stretching. But we'll kind of have to wait and see what happens there. Hopefully nothing serious. I'm sure nothing will. I mean, there will be some bullshit hearing because the Nevada Commission thrives off of that yeah. and nothing will come of it. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. A little don't do that again. Yeah. Because that's all it should be. But there is another fight card this weekend, the last at the Apex before we go to Fight Island. Fight Island. So the main event is one that has got lightweight contendership implications. Oh, implications. Yes. Dan Hooker is taking on the one and only Dustin the Diamond Poirier. What is Dan Hooker's nickname? I think it's Hangman or something like that. It should be Red Light. Oh, Lord. Oh, wah, wah, wah. Dad joke 101. There's one only coach stuff, you <laughs> folks. But this one, like I say, has got a number one contendership for the lightweight title on the line. I would be very much saying for if Hooker wins. Poirier is coming off the loss to Habib. Dan Hooker is coming off a tough win against Paul Felder at the beginning of the year. So if Hooker wins, he's got to be in that number one contendership talk. Uh, this one could go a lot of different ways. I like Poirier in this one. He's used to the big fight moments. Hooker, we're not really sure what, he, what we were going to get out of him. But I would say this. If Hooker wins, I wouldn't doubt that he gets maybe the loser of Habib uh, Gaethje down the road. I could see that fully happening. Maybe Conor McGregor, depending on what Conor wants to do that week. Because <laughs> Depending on what Conor, who Conor is that week. Yeah, exactly. Who is Conor? Yeah, what is Conor? I mean, we just don't know. And for Poirier... If he gets the win, he's got to get back in that title contention talk. I mean, obviously, like I said, he just had a fight for it and didn't go his way. But then again, uh, that's Habib. I mean, everybody's getting demolished. So who knows what's going to be in his future. I could see him possibly getting a Conor fight. I've been talking about that for a while, so I wouldn't mind seeing that if Poirier wins. There's so many different directions they can go with. And like I say, this will be the last fight. They're taking off July 4th weekend, and then we go right to Fight Island for UFC 251. Isn't like wasn't July 4th like their big weekend of fights too? Like wasn't that fight they, week? They were going to be doing international fight fight week. Fight yeah, international. Yeah. Yeah, starting that weekend and going through the next week, but obviously with everything going on with COVID, they've kind of scrapped those plans. Oh, uh, okay. So they're not going to do it at Fight Island even? No. Oh, that's not a bummer. That's yeah. always a good card too. Yeah. That well, July 4th weekend card. Right, but they've really made a point to stack the UFC 251 three title fights. Oh. 
Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ooh. Burns Usman. Usman is actually training in Denver right now at a new camp, so I'm not sure what's going on there. For the welterweight title, okay, you have a rematch for the featherweight title with Volkanovski and Max Holloway. Okay. You had me sold at Usman, but go ahead. Yep. Keep going. And you have, for the vacant bantamweight title, Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo. I mean. Well, no, no. I, I say. Was it a new Jose Aldo? Well, him down at bantamweight at 135. Okay. I see. I don't like him at that weight class. I, I'll be. I'll give you a little uh, spoiler for <laughs> when we do the UFC 251. Peter Yan has been one of the most like underrated guys in the bantamweight division for right. I don't know how long. So it, technically, it should be him versus Eljamain Sterling for the title mm-hmm. because uh, Henry Cejudo is vacated and allegedly is now coming to 145. Okay, he's now backtracked out of the retirement talk, or there's some speculation. They all do. Yeah. So, it's like Ric Flair retiring. Yeah, so Aldo, since he's fought uh, at least once down 135, they're giving him the title fight. Okay. Which, obviously, due to his legacy of 145, I, I don't struggle with, but I'm kind of like, ah, I, I'm, not, I'm not excited about it. Like, I think he should be fighting at 155. Okay. To be honest. I'll take it. Yeah, and those are at least the three fights. I mean, they've stacked the entire card ridiculously. I feel like I'm sold. Yes. I mean, like I said, Usman, you had yeah. me. Yeah, well, the interesting thing with Usman is he changed camps. Yep, that's why I said he's in Denver now. Yep. Which is kind of uh, Which, wild. according to him, uh, he sensed his training partners, quote, licking their chops for a crack at his title. Well, yeah, I know with him and Burns, there is, a, I think, history that they were training together. So Gilbert Burns is the one taking it because Masvidal doesn't want to do the fight because of the contract dispute and <laughs> and everything that's going on there. So uh, Gilbert Burns has been on a roll lately, and he said, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the fight. So they're going to headline down at Fight Island. and. That one is going to be a real fun one. Yeah? Real fun one. Sounds good to me. Speaking of fights, let me close out with one that I know I'm going to get a reaction from the panel about this one. So apparently on Twitter, there is a little uh, Instagram, I'm saying, uh, a little back and forth about John Jones wants to fight Mike Tyson. So, so, so dumb. Yeah. For everybody involved. Yeah, Tyson, which, by the way, Tyson has been looking tremendous sure. in shape. In the best shape he's been in in he's years. also only 5'6", and John is 6'6", six, six, and out, John's reach is Mike Tyson's body. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, all right, so I know we've seen the Connor, you know, uh, Floyd boxing thing. You know, Connor, UFC guy, tried to box, didn't go so hot. This is not Floyd. Like, Floyd might, you know, move and shake and dance. Tyson will literally work his body like Rocky worked Ivan and will break ribs on John's body. Yeah, Tyson's muscle memory will be enough to carry him through that one. The the violence that you see those punches still thrown and John's tiny itty-bitty frame. Yeah. Fuck. I believe believe they're going to fight about as much as I believe Coach is going to take on Jordan one-on-one. It ain't going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. I don't want yeah. that. I don't no, want that at and all. And like I said, I, I know this was a quick headline grab because John obviously this is... This is John trying to stay relevant in the news cycle. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, him and Masvidal are the two fighters really outspoken right now that they're not excited about fighting from, you know, per- perception is reality with that. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, John, you are your own brand and mm-hmm. Masvidal is too, and you want him to get paid and paid fairly in your eyes. More power to you. I get it. But... I have no interest in seeing you do anything with Tyson. I I, I just don't want to see it. No, it's, it's just him trying to. Like I said, it's just him trying to stay yeah. relevant because it, thankfully he hasn't had anything negative in the news in recent weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the last time he was on the news, but the last time he was on the news, he was in Al- what was it Albuquerque helping uh, businesses put their stuff back together. Yeah, you well, know, positive PR. So positive PR. So you know, 
time has gone on. People have stopped talking about him. It's just him trying to stay relevant in the news cycle. Yeah, it's just something that I know he's really trying to keep his name out there because obviously they have not been able to put the fight against him and Francis Ngannou together. No. You know, which well, because Ngannou's on standby for DC Miosic if something happens, right? But I think if there was enough money thrown that way, I think that he'd be willing to take that super fight because that would be a monster payday, monster one. Sure, but we'll have to wait and see because, like I say, I don't see that fight ever happening. And I know John said I would do it if you return the favor and come to the, K- the UFC, which is not going to happen. Yeah, just so dumb. Yeah, stop it, it. Yep, it's just good clickbait that we'll talk about, so you don't have to. There you go. That being said, the music you heard at this episode's beginning is that of Fair City Fire, but we're going to close out with a little second suitor. You can play us some more off the Super Duper EP. You can find out about those bands, Shout at the Robots, Floodlands, Walking Distance, uh, Yard Party. Man, the list is growing and growing, but where do you find out about all these great bands? Head on over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com and hit the music section up. You can also head on over to the ODPH directory and check out friends of the show, such as Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, still playing Final Fantasy VII, Pad. All right. Yes, and uh, I, I'm still waiting to hear uh, his uh, rebuttal from your uh, comments about Ratchet and Clank. Mm. <laughs> Enough said there. And we also check out what's going on over with Excite Wrestling with Johnny Moose. I know there's some plans that uh, he's keeping us updated, obviously, with everything going on about the new stages being lifted here in New York State. He's got a lot to say, so head on over, check out their social media accounts. And you can also find out about the great pod groups that we're in. So shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to the Legion of Independent Podcasts. Shout out to the Apocalypse community. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. And shout out, of course, to Hashtag 607 Podcast. All of those great pod chaser lists are on our ODPH directory so you can go over, check, rate, reviews, share, and find a new favorite podcast to match on with the ODPH. And you can also find links for Black Lives Matters organizations and voter registration as well. And you can also check out our friends over at 8122 Productions. Shout out to Rich Ron and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter pad. Oh, Lord. He has not been uh, kicked off yet. He is giving you that content you need to follow. And you can check out everything going on with the Three Fat Nerds podcast, Horizon 607, and their Patreon, patreon.com slash 8122productions. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gives you a comfy seat at the table and is all the content you can handle. Where do you find out about all of this? Simple. OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's all I got for this week. So, for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and go vote. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Damn hard I can
Top ropes, one, two.